One of the challenging things of reading through the Bible is doing the actual reading. Amen? Amen. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to my son read it in the daily podcast. And sometimes I'm glad he's pronouncing those names instead of me. (laughs) Now, however, he gets to listen to his father try to preach a sermon on the book of Numbers, one of the three books of the Pentateuch, in one Sunday, because next week we will be moving on beyond the book of Numbers. I'd like to remind us of the story of the children of Israel in slavery, sometimes known as Charlton Heston in the Ten Commandments, not to confuse the two. But so many of us, when we do think of Moses, we have that picture of Charlton Heston in our minds. It is a story of slavery where a group of people had gone to Egypt during a famine, and now hundreds of years later, things have passed, and now they are slaves in Egypt, and they want to be delivered, which anybody would want to be in the results of slavery. And God delivers them, and that's amazing. And deliverance comes at the hand of Moses as they're led through the Red Sea. And of course, we all think, wow, if I was there, life would just be incredible. Because at the point of where God leads someone through the Red Sea that literally parts and they go on dry ground, how could you ever doubt God again, right? Well, they're much like us. We get delivered from situations and we do doubt. And the next thing they go to is wilderness. We don't know how long they were in wilderness. Now, you're going to say there were 40 years. No, that comes later in the story. That's why we're looking at the text today. We do not know how long they were in the wilderness. But they had to go through wilderness. You don't go from Egypt to Israel without going through the wilderness. That's the only way you get there. And so they're out in the desert in this place. And so when we think of their wilderness or wilderness in the scriptures, I have good news and bad news for you. Ready for the bad news? Wilderness is a part of life. I'm going to say that again. Wilderness is a part of life. Amen? Amen. We all face it in our lives. We may not like it. We may not want it to happen. But it is part of being a human being. It was part of Moses' life. He's leading these children of Israel across the wilderness. It's part of Israel's, the nation's life. It's part of the life of people like Elijah, who was on the mountain, and has this amazing experience only to go down into the wilderness. And we know most especially as part of Jesus' life. How did Jesus' ministry begin? It didn't begin with him being baptized and going out and proclaiming the kingdom of God. It began with him being baptized, and where does he go? Into the wilderness for 40 days. That's what happens to us so often. We find ourselves in a wilderness. That's the bad news. The good news is God is with us in the wilderness. Hear that? God is with us whenever we're in the wilderness. We may feel like we're in the wilderness. Circumstances around us may look like the wilderness. But no matter what we face, when we're in the wilderness, God is with us. Jesus walks with us. And God has much for us to do in the wilderness. Wilderness is not a place where we just have to give up. I looked up the definition of wilderness, and I like this. It's an uncultivated, uninhabitable, inhospitable region. That defines things that we have faced in our lives. Hear that? It is an uncultivated, uninhabitable, inhospitable region. It's things we have faced. It may be something you're facing today. 
You could be coming to worship and looking around and seeing everybody else and seeing smiling faces and think to yourself, nobody understands that I'm in a wilderness. I'm struggling. We struggle in the wilderness. That's tough times in our life. The places where there's confusion and we don't even understand why we're there. Or, for sure, it will be something we will all face in the future. Because wilderness, not only scripturally, but also in our own human experience, is something we face. So what do we learn from wilderness before we look at the passage today? Three words. Don't waste wilderness. Hear that? Don't waste wilderness. That's what people do all the time. They give up. It's awful. I didn't want to be here. I can't stand where I am. I don't like what's happening. And that's it. But Scripture is clear that wilderness is part of life. So we're not looking at it, Israel. We're looking at Moses. Because Moses directs them through the wilderness. And Moses is in the wilderness. He never gets out of the wilderness. But listen to what Moses does in the first part of the story in the wilderness. He gives us the Old Testament law in the wilderness. That's not just the the Ten Commandments. That's all of the Old Testament law. Now, I'm sorry. I like to write down policies and procedures. Nothing compared to the Pentateuch, and particularly the books of Leviticus and Numbers. Go check it out. There's quite a bit of stuff that he was able to put together as far as these laws that were given to him by God. He also designs and implements the tabernacle in the wilderness. He's in the wilderness, and he gives us Old Testament law. He has these encounters and experiences with God on Mount Sinai, and he even sees a vision of the tabernacle and oversees the construction of the tabernacle. If that's not enough, he organizes the people of Israel into a nation. Think about that. You get an assignment this afternoon. You got a million people, and you get to make a country out of them. Have fun. Go to it. But he does it. That's what we read in the Pentateuch. And if that all isn't enough, he writes the first five books of the Bible that we call the Pentateuch. Now, no matter what you do in your life, I'm sorry, you're never going to do anything as important as writing Scripture. But Moses inspires us in the wilderness because he didn't waste the wilderness. That's the problem that we do as Christians far too often. Since we all face wilderness, sometimes we waste it. And we're not happy with the circumstances around us. We're not happy with how things are. We feel like God has betrayed us because how could we be here? John Wesley had two sermons, founder of the whole Methodist movement. Two sermons. He said, we face wilderness and we face wanderings. Don't confuse them. Wanderings are when we're disobedient. Wilderness is just so things that happen in our life. They're just part of life. And in the wilderness of life, God has much for us to do. I don't know if any of you noticed that we had a pandemic for a few years. Anybody else? Raise your hand if you noticed that we were in a pandemic for a while. We still have lingering results of the pandemic around here. Some of them very positive because we didn't waste the wilderness. We have cameras that we put in. We have a whole way in which we have a Zoom room that we can do meetings that are hybrid. Because rather than wasting something that happens and simply being upset with ourselves and throwing our hands up and being frustrated, we realize that God calls us to do something in the midst of our wilderness. Likewise to me, I had a dog that 
was dying, had been diagnosed with cancer, and I spent a lot of time talking to that dog. And that puppy and I, my beautiful little 11-year-old Michelle, she and I were able to work out that I wasn't going to waste wilderness either. I was going to use it as an opportunity to go back to school, and I did that. I started a doctor ministry program. People have asked me about that program. It's three and almost four years, three and three-quarters years, so I'm about two-thirds way through it. Regina always reminds me that dog and God are the same letters spelled backwards, so I don't just think I talk to my dog. I think I was having conversations with God. What do I need to do? How do I get through this? What new thing, God, do you have for me in the midst of this wilderness? Don't waste today. Moses accomplished more than any of us could ever imagine. And where was he, folks? In the... Got that? He didn't give up. He didn't just get frustrated. He just didn't say, well, everybody doesn't see the world the way I see it. How about Jesus? Three times he was tempted. He didn't waste his time either. That catapulted him into the greatest ministry that's ever happened. Jesus quoted Scripture and knew that God was with him, and now he's with us in our wilderness. If there's one hope and one promise out of today's message, is whatever you face and whenever you're in the wilderness, trust in your Savior who went through it also. He's there with you to guide you, to give you help, to give you direction, and help you know that with his guidance you can get through anything, and not only get through the wilderness, but find God's will in the wilderness. Things that you need to do. But how do we do it? Well, that's where we come to today's text. We need to follow God's instructions. That's where we get ourselves in trouble. We try to follow our own. Amen? We do, I'll do it. We come with our own best thinking and we say, this is what I want. And then scripture reminds us that God gives clear instructions. In our passage, we find it because Moses is leading the children of Israel and he gives them clear instructions. They've been in the wilderness and now they're trying to find their purpose. Moses has figured out what God has for him to do and now they're to the Jordan River and they're ready to take the land that God has given them. And don't miss that. God's given them the land. And they're standing looking across the Jordan and Moses says, what you need to do before we can take the land is follow some instructions. So it begins in chapter 13, verse 17. Moses gave these men these instructions, and he sent them out to explore the land. Listen to the instructions. Go north, that's an instruction, through the Negev and the hill country. See what the land is like, there's an instruction. Find out whether the people there are strong, weak, few, or many. Here's what he's doing. He's telling them what to do. You're in the wilderness. You want to move forward. Here are the instructions. Here are the plans. Follow what God has shared with you and do those things. See what kind of land it's like. Is it good or is it bad? Do their towns have walls or are they unprotected like open camps? It's like you send them out with a notebook and just take these notes and come back and report everything that you see. But don't just go wander around the land. Go do the things I'm asking you to do. Are there many trees? How about the soil? Is it fertile or is it poor? Do your best to bring back samples of the crops. You see, it happened, the scripture tells us, during the scene of the harvesting, and there were grapes that were ripe. So they went up and explored the land. They followed the instructions. Those are clear instructions. There are times in our life when we don't know what to do, but 
truth be told, usually in the wilderness, we do know what to do. Hear me? We do know what to do. There's something for us to do. It's usually that we don't want to do it. Or we start and then we give up too quickly. And so the scripture teaches us that if we're going to follow the scriptures, we need to follow the instructions. Now, how many of you like the winter? Like love the winter? Okay, I got a couple hands. How many of you like 10 degrees above zero? Okay, how about zero? Five below? Ten below? Okay, I was in Kentucky and you guys had the best day. Five below. I was jealous. I was sitting there in a balmy 12 degrees wishing I could be back in Massachusetts. I don't like the summer. I like the winter. I like it when it's cold. So your hot days are my cold days and vice versa. Got it? So when I see those really hot, dreary days, those days that I want to just sit in my house with air conditioning on and think about Olaf, <laughs> watch movies like Frozen, the way life should be. I still don't understand. Why was it bad that she made everything frozen? That's how life should be. Okay. Well, one day it was really hot and very muggy. And I went out for a walk in my son and daughter-in-law's neighborhood. Probably it was 95 degrees. It was one of those days that only a New Englander can appreciate. I certainly couldn't. And I came across a guy who was working on a wall. He was just carefully building a wall. Well, I couldn't pass up the opportunity, so I went and I talked to him, because that's kind of what I do. I said, what are you doing? And he started talking to me about the wall. I think I was asking, what, what in the world are you doing on a hot day working on a wall? And he said, oh, I watched a YouTube video a while back, and I decided to build this wall for my father. I said, really? He said, yeah, I live down on the Cape. I said, are you a mason? He goes, no, I've never done this before in my life, but I decided I could follow the instructions and I could build a wall for my dad. I said, how long have you been working on it? He goes, a couple years. He said about him, very careful. It's a beautiful wall. When it's done, I'll take a picture of it. It's beautiful. It's nice. It's hard work. It took diligent, long, progressive work. I said, how's it going? He said, it's going great. Not only am I building a wall that I'm really proud of, it's really been great for my relationship with my dad. I have time each time I come up. He said, I wish I had more time, but I'm busy. I've got another job and career and everything. But I get up here and I work on the wall and I talk to my father. That's what we do. Clear instructions. He went to YouTube, found the instructions. Followed the instructions. It was 157,000 degrees and humid, and he was still out there doing it. Because when we understand that God instructs us to follow the instructions, life does get better. It's not the instructions that become the problem. It's us that becomes the problem. We become all start and no finish. And what Scripture wants us to know is we need to continue to follow no matter what. How do we learn to be more like the guy building the wall on a hot summer day? By realizing that when we are in those places of wilderness, we just need to look to God and His Word. We need to be prayerful and look what's laid out before us, and pretty soon we start realizing where God wants us to go. I was turning 50. I know I've told this story before, but I like the story, so I'm going to tell it again, and I have the microphone. <laughs> and I decided to start running. 
I was visiting David and Laura, and they were both college students at the time. Regina and Todd and I were there in, in Westerville, Ohio. And I did what every good, self-respecting 50-year-old guy getting ready for his 50th birthday does. I went out and ran more than I should because I didn't know what I was doing. And I pulled a muscle in my leg really bad. And now I'm like limping into the athletic trainer because uh, there was a field house right there. And I got in and they iced it and they worked with me and they talked to me and they said, are you crazy? You don't even know what you're doing. So I decided after that what I needed to do once my leg healed was hire a running coach. So I hired a running coach. Came back to Massachusetts. Now I'm finally able to walk and move around a little bit. And I hired this guy, paid him the money, met with him. I went to, guess where we met? Going to surprise you. Starbucks. Yes, it was. We met at a Starbucks. That's how I knew he was the right coach. He said to me, we're going to meet at a Starbucks. So we meet at the Starbucks. We talk about everything. He takes me out. I go to a track up in Boston. We do a little quick thing. And now I'm all excited because he's going to send me the workout. And I get my first workout and I open the email and it said, walk for 15 minutes five times for three weeks. Are you kidding me? I called him up on the phone. I said, Pat, I just got my instructions from you. He said, yes. And I said, all you're asking me to do is walk 15 minutes a day, five days a week for three weeks. He said, yeah, that's right. I said, I could have done that on my own. He said, but you didn't. I followed his instructions, and a year and a half later, I ran my first half marathon. Hear that? That's what we do. We follow the instructions. When we are in wilderness, when we don't know what to do, there's always something that's clear that's before us, and we do it. And that's what we find out in Scripture. And if we're confused, we talk to other Christians, we have people pray with us, we look at God's Word, we seek to be faithful. But then here's the problem. If we're going to go when we're in wilderness, if we're going to realize that we're not Moses and we're not really writing Scripture, we're more stuck in the wilderness, and now we're like the children of Israel who've come to the Jordan River and they've gotten the clear instructions and they've gone and they've gone and started to do exactly what it is and they're faithful to that point. Now the next and final thing is we got to face the giants. We all have them in our life. The giant might be something that happened to us when we were in middle school. It might be something that we find a repetitive behavior in our family. It may be something that we're terrified of and afraid of and saying, God, I can't do this. Like, why have you brought me here to put me to this place? In verses 27 and 28 of chapter 13 of the book of Numbers, this was a report the people brought back to Moses. We entered the land. Yay! Applaud. The land you sent to us to explore. And it is indeed a bountiful country. Praise God. Raise your hands and hallelujah, everybody, right now. Hallelujah. It's a great country. A land flowing with milk and honey. Here is a kind of fruit it produces, and they gave them all the fruit, and they brought the fruit out. But, boy, they're just like us. God gave me the instructions. I'm following the instructions. But, but the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw giants there. The report came back, and it could have been one word, giants. 
giants. That's what we do. We get following God, and we know where God is directing us, and what do we see? Giants. We see the giant, and we get afraid. We see the giant, we turn back. We don't want to face the things that God wants us to face, and therefore, as we're moving forward, what do we say to ourselves? Say it with me. Giants. Say it again. Giants. How many times in our lives has God guided us and directed us, and the giants came? Now, the truth is, the report came back. was a true report. The land did contain fortified cities. Archaeological, I'm quoting from a source here that, that writes archaeologically about what these people saw, and it says, Archaeological excavation has confirmed that the Canaanite cities of the late Bronze Age were large and heavily defended. For example, the city of Hazor consisted of an upper city of 26 acres and a lower city of 160 acres. Estimates say that the population was about 40,000 people. Its defenses were massively built stone and brick walls that measured up to 24 feet. So people are coming through the desert. They've gone through the wilderness. They've crossed the desert to see the land that God's given them, and all they see are the big walls, and they get terrified. And they say the word that we say, giants. And we don't like to face the giants. Because we think we have to face the giants on our own. How many times have we had to face something and we say one word, giants? What's the alternative? Well, the alternative is not to be like the children of Israel. Because, be, because Moses sent them in. Because they spy out the land. Because the majority of them saw giants and only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, God's going to bless us, let's take the land that God has given to us. They wandered for 40 years. There's where the wandering comes from. We tell the story differently. We say the children of Israel crossed the sea and wandered for 40 years. No, they didn't. They crossed the sea and had the normal amount of wilderness they went through and God's now ready to deliver them and all they see are giants the same thing that we do far too many times in our lives. If we don't face our giants, in a blink of an eye, 40 years has passed. I know, I'm 63 years old. It's happened in my life and it's happened in your life. All of a sudden we say, I could have solved this and taken care of this and God was working on this years ago in my life. And why am I still doing this? Same thing even comes with my doctor ministry program. I love to talk about the fact that God led me to it during the pandemic, but the truth is I started one years ago and I only took it so far and I ended it because I couldn't keep going because I saw the giants. And now what we do? We see the giants and we stop. Then the scripture tells us that there is an alternative, but Caleb tried to quiet the people. I'm now reading in chapter 14, verse... Let's go on at once and take the land. Well, we can certainly conquer it. Two of the men, verse 6, who had explored the land were Joshua and Caleb. They tore their clothing. They said to the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land, and if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us to safety. Quit thinking about the giants, folks, is what they said. Look at God and trust God. Don't trust that human beings are going to solve the problem. Trust that God's going to solve the problem. And if God says, take the land, take the land. And if God says, don't fear the giants, don't fear the giants. Amen. 
was coming into this weekend and realizing this is a difficult weekend. And so I said to Regina on Friday night, I want to watch one of my cheery, happy Christian movies. The silly ones that everybody laughs at and says that acting is bad. So we looked at them, and we couldn't decide on one. And I said, well, then let's watch The Hiding Place. That's not exactly a cheery, happy movie, folks. It's a story of the Holocaust. And we watched a movie that Regina and I hadn't watched since the 1970s, and we hadn't really remembered. I know the story. I've reread the book. It's a story of Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy, who are faithful Christians, and it's a true story. And Corey and her sister and her father have realized that they need to hide Jews during World War II. And so they create in their house a hiding place where Jewish people can hide, and they as Christians are hiding them until finally the officials find out about it, and they come storming into the house, and they take the Ten Boom family, and they ship them off to a prison camp. Now, one of the amazing things that I hadn't realized, the Jewish people that they hid, they all made it to safety. They had such a good hiding place that those people were never discovered. And when they were in the prison camp, Corey gets a letter, and she peels back the stamp on it, and it says, because her father was a clockmaker, all the clocks are safe, and she knew from that coded language that it meant all the people that they had hid had made it out. So they knew that they were faithful, and they knew that they had followed God, but now they were in absolute hell on earth. And it was there that her father died. And it was there that her sister was beaten, and she died also. And eventually, at just before Corey's delivered from the prison camp, as she's emaciated and, and beaten and dragged down as low as a person could be, her sister said, you know, Corey, when you get out, because I've had a vision and you're going to get out. I dreamed a dream, and by the new year, we're both going to be free. Well, one was free because she died. That was Betsy. And the other was Corey, who was delivered because of a clerical error that she was supposed to be put to death, but they made an error, and she was set free. And her sister said, here's the message. You get to go out and tell people no pit is so deep that God's grace is not deeper still. Amen? And you know what I realized from my cheery Holocaust movie? Folks, we face things, but we don't face things like Corey Ten Boom did. We face difficulties in our life and things that we struggle with. We face wilderness and tough times in which God calls us to do something new, to take on a new challenge in our life, to realize that God calls us to a new job, to a new situation. God guides us and directs us, and we, we move our family expands. All of these things that just get us down. And things that happen that we don't understand. And we say, how in the world is God going to get us through? Well, if God can get Corey Ten Boom through a Nazi prison camp with her sister beaten and killed and her father dying and all of the troubles that she faced and she could come out with a message that God is faithful and loving and good, folks, we can face the wildernesses of our lives. Where are we today? We are a church, but how about in our lives? Are we wasting wilderness? That's a personal question. Am I in a tough time that 
I don't like the circumstances, so I've made up my mind that God can't do anything with it. I don't know. Moses wrote the Pentateuch and gave us a tabernacle. That's quite a bit to accomplish in a wilderness. Or are there clear instructions and we're afraid to follow them? And we don't follow through. And we realize, as a good friend of mine told me one time, he said, until he recognized that he was all start, no finish, he couldn't become start and finish. And many of us are at that place in our lives. Or are there giants? That's the question. Because wilderness is part of life, and our giants are there. We can't go to church and pray and say, God, make the giants go away. But we can pray and say, God, guide me and direct me and give me the strength to get through whatever I have to face. 